Today is the 4th of December in the year of our salvation, 2008. It's Thursday in the first week of Advent. And today we are going to drill together into a hymn which Holy Church sings during Advent for Vespers. We'll do some comparing and contrasting and look at some words and dig into some really trivial history and hear some musical versions of the hymn along the way. So let's get right to work. Up until the last days of Advent, Holy Church sings a beautiful hymn for Vespers, or evening prayer. It's called the Conditor Alme Siderum, after the first three words, of course. It's probably from the 7th century, and we really don't know who the author is. But there is a variation of the hymn you should be aware of, called the Creator Alme Siderum. Now, creator and conditor mean pretty much the same thing, but this variation came to light when a pope with tinkeritis the Barberini Pope, Urban VIII, decided in 1632 that he would revise the hymns of the Roman breviary according to a more classical Latin style. Now, the results really weren't all that happy. But the Creator Alme Siderum persisted with some modifications up until modern times in the Roman breviary. Remember, that's what we call the Liturgy of the Hours before the reforms of the Council. So, in the post-conciliar Liturgia Orarum, or Liturgia of the Hours, we have the more ancient form, the Conditor Alme Siderum. Now, in order to get into this most effectively, we should hear uh, a couple translations. We'll hear a, a kind of a slavishly literal translation that I worked up really quickly that's not supposed to be smooth or elegant or poetic or anything like that. But just to kind of pry into it, then we can hear a more a poetic version of it, a little smoother. And then we can hear it sung by some monks. Uh, just so that we can have a basis for what uh, will come afterwards. So first, let's have a, a, a literal translation. Loving Creator of the stars, eternal light of believers, O Christ, Redeemer of all, hear the prayers of supplicants. You, greatly suffering with us, that the cosmos was perishing from the ruin of death, saved the weakened world, giving a cure to the condemned while the evening of the world is verging towards us, as a bridegroom having come forth from the chamber, the most virtuous enclosure of the Virgin Mother, at whose powerful might all things are bent down at the knee, things celestial, things earthly, things subdued, making their profession with bowed head. In faith we beg you, O Holy One, you the judge of the world about to come, Guard us in this era from the weapon of the treacherous enemy. O Christ, most merciful King, let there be glory to you and to the Father with the Consoler Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Now let's hear that more poetic version from the 19th century. Creator of the stars of night, thy people's everlasting light, Jesu, Redeemer, save us all, and hear thy servants when they call. Thou, grieving that the ancient curse should doom to death a universe, hast found the medicine full of grace to save and heal a ruined race. Thou camest the bridegroom of the bride, 
and drew the world to evening tide, proceeding from a virgin shrine, the spotless victim all divine, at whose dread name, majestic now, all knees must bend, all hearts must bow, and things celestial thee shall own, and things terrestrial, Lord alone. O thou whose coming is with dread, to judge the due and doom, the quick and dead, preserve us while we dwell below, from every insult of the foe. To God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, three in one, laud, honor, might, and glory be, from age to age, eternally. Amen. Now that we've heard a couple of versions of it, let's hear the Gregorian chant versions sung by some Cistercians, some monks at Heiligenkreuz in Austria. Those were the monks at Heiligenkreuz, singing the Conditor Almi Siderum in the Gregorian chant version, so common to the singing of the office. Now, along the way, uh, Gregorian chant melodies uh, for many hymns were adjusted. Um, and uh, you can hear uh, sometimes the, the uh, influence of scholars in these little adjustments as they change a note here and change a note there. You see there is a, a science called semiology, the study of signs that was applied to old manuscripts from the Middle Ages where they don't have so much of the modern musical notation but little bitty squiggles and uh, signs and marks scattered all over the text, just the text of the um, just the text of the hymn that were in uh, large books, and they were 
probably designed to guide the hand movement of the people directing the chant and just giving indications of where the melody goes. So there are variations according to the manuscripts. But um, after studying these things for a while, sometimes it was decided to shift the melody around. Now I can give you an example of what that might sound like. If I pick up the Liber Hymnarius, which is put together by the monks at Solem in France, a Benedictine Abbey, a place uh, very important for liturgical movement and for the revival of chant. The very first hymn in the book is, of course, Conditoralmi Siderum, because it's used for first vespers of the very first liturgical moment of the new liturgical year, which is Advent, and it's used all the way to the 16th of December at Vespers. So we can hear how it sounds. I'm sorry, I've got to sing this part just to get the variations out, so I apologize in advance, but here we go. In the new version, as we sing it now, it's Conditor Halme Siderum. And in the older version, for example, if you were to pick up the Liber Uzawalis and take a look at the Creator Halme Siderum, you would hear something like Creator Halme Siderum. You hear the difference? Conditor halme siderum, or creator halme siderum. It's just one note difference in there. But it's a, but it is a difference, and it's something you should be aware of if you hear different recordings of this hymn being sung, either according to the old words or the, or the more ancient words, the conditor halme siderum. Um, this is awfully picky stuff, right? I can just hear some people out there. But father, but father, so what? They're probably drumming their fingers as they listen to the podcast. What difference could that make? You're being too picky. Well, the thing is, it it's not too picky to look at these things because sometimes the way um, the melody goes might uh, change the emphasis of a syllable. Now, remember, we're dealing with a poetic form and we have a kind of rigid structure of the meter. Uh, if we think about it, um, we have da-da, 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 you know, we're using that sort of meter. Uh, but sometimes the emphasis of the word itself doesn't really match very well the foot in the meter that they want us to sing. And the melody where we go up, for example, where uh, the melody might go up, might influence uh, where we put the emphasis on a word. And in the case of our hymn today, that could make a big difference. Now, think about it, you know, as you're drumming your fingers saying, but Father, but Father, you're so picky. Think about this. Now, there are two words in Latin, two verbs, which can give us a word spelled C-O-N-D-I-T-O-R. And that's, of course, the first word of the hymn. Uh, the verbs are condo, and the infinitive is condere, that gives us the result of conditor, with the emphasis on the first syllable, while condio, condire, also produces a word spelled exactly the same, but the emphasis is on the second syllable, conditor. So we, there's a difference between conditor and conditor. They're spelled the same, but they're pronounced differently. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's kind of kind of interesting. There is an old uh, an old philological term for two words that are spelled the same but pronounced differently, and uh, like live and live, wind and wind, wound and wound, uh, things like that. 
Uh, it's one of the word, uh, longest words I know, a homeonastic heterosomatophonogloss, but I digress. Um, anyway, we have these two different verbs, condo condere and condio condire. Now, condo, condere, condiri, conditum, it means to bring or lay or put together in the sense of establish or build or construct or describe. And that's what's going on with this creator business. It's like the builder, creator, establisher, the one who describes everything. It's the creator. And on the other hand, we shouldn't confuse that with condio, condire, condivi, conditum, which means to put fruit in vinegar, wine, spices, etc., to preserve, to pickle. Our English word condiment comes from condio. Now this gets a little uh, confusing if you really want to get it picky because to lay up uh, is a, a phrase that we use in English to pickle or preserve can also be expressed by that other verb condo. There's a connection between the words an etymological and conceptual connection that we can dig into in a little while. Um, you might also think, uh, you who speak German might think of a conditorei. It's a bakery, right? A place where you know baked goods are you know, spiced and so forth. So we have these two different verbs that give us two different words that are spelled the same, conditor and conditor. One means creator, the other, word, other one means pickler. So an incautious, incautious person singing this Vespers hymn, uh, kind of just, you know, hammering away at it without really thinking about what they're, they're singing, might just sing it in such a way as to stress the wrong syllable, even though the melody kind of tends to make us want to do that. Uh, sing it in such a way that we are lifting our hearts and minds to the merciful or dear pickler of the stars, rather than the merciful creator um, rather gives me the image of a great cosmic cook sealing stars into bell jars or sprinkling fresh herbs through the heavens, which, while a very congenial image, isn't exactly what we're trying to say. But, you know, it's really interesting. This gets into something that we can study in Latin poetry. Sometimes uh, I think we have a, um, a tendency in reading Latin poetry uh, to forget that there was a shift at a certain point from the you know emphasizing the length of syllables and moving more towards a syllabic emphasis in the meter and so we have a push and pull sometimes in certain verses um, experts on latin poetry will talk about homodyne and heterodyne verses homodyne are where the emphasis of the word also falls very nicely together with the foot in the meter. And then there are heterodyne, where there's a, a conflict between them, where the emphasis of the, the word actually is going in a you know a spot in the meter where it should be not you know not receive metric emphasis. And this is the situation that we have here. So instead of singing conditor almesiderum we have to remember to say something like conditor almesiderum you see the dip in the melody there wants to force us to put the emphasis in the wrong place so let's just remember not to sing to the great pickler of the stars okay
Now, as we think about the mighty creator who described and ordained the order of the cosmos and put the stars in the heavens, let's pause just to play with this whole condio condo, conditor conditor thing. Now, a while back, a reader of the blog uh, sent me a little bottle of very powerful fermented concentrated anchovy juice, some stuff called colatura. It's still used in southern Italy as a condiment for pasta, and it's nearly the same thing as another ancient condiment called garum, or liquamen, which the Romans put on everything. It's really pretty good stuff. And sometimes in cooking, I like to look into what the ancients ate and how they put their foodstuffs together, what their theory of flavors were and their methods for cooking and at digging in to today's hymn, I found some interesting material that um, deals with, with cooking. We might as well just stop and have a little digression about it. Now, maybe some of you have heard of Marcus Porcius Cato, Cato, who died in 149 BC. This is Cato, Cato the Elder, or Cato the Censor, uh, to distinguish him from his homonymous grandson. That's the problem sometimes in reading Roman history. They all, the people in a family, they all have the same name, so they have to find different ways to uh, distinguish them. Now, Cato the Elder, in his very no-nonsense work about running a farm, something called De Agricultura, you can hear ag agriculture in there. It's, sometimes it's called De Re Rustica, about rustic business, wrote, here it is in Latin, Olee conduntur, there's that condo, vel virides in muria, muria, I think, think of muriatic acid. Uh, this means green olives preserved or laid down in salt brine. Now remember, I said that that condo can kind of hit from both sides of the plate, uh, if you'll pardon the the pun there. It can mean both to lay down or lay up in the sense of building and also of preserving, like pickling, because condo and condio are related. Now, also in De Agricultura, in uh, Book 17, we find the same Cato uh, describing um, in a chapter called Ole albe quo modo condiantur. That's where we have the verb condio. Uh, he says, How light colored olives are to be preserved. Well, this is very important stuff, you know. It's very important in Italy today. I remember, you know, around the time of the olive harvest, everybody was kind of focused on it. They all t they take these things still very seriously, and of course they would in those days too, because if they didn't learn how to preserve things properly, they would starve to death. So, um, Pliny, uh, Gaius Plinius Secundus, this is a guy who died in 79. He died from the poisonous gases in Stabiae, or about 16 kilometers from the eruption of the volcano Vesuvius, he was trying to get good and close, good and close to the volcano. Yeah, well, anyway, in his natural history, Pliny, this is Pliny the Elder, which distinguishes him from his nephew, another Pliny, the younger Pliny, who died later on in 
one thirteen. Uh, it was it was that Pliny who described early Christians and their liturgical worship in his letters to the Emperor Trajan. You might remember those, um, and he is the guy actually who wrote the description of Vesuvius at the request of the historian uh, Tacitus. Um, anyway, I digress again. Pliny says. Vitis ipsa quoque manditur de coctis caulibus sumis, qui et condiuntur, there's our condio, in aceto ac muria, and this describes the cooked tendrils of great vines, flavored with vinegar and salt brine. Yum! I don't know if you've ever seen a a grapevine, but it has these little tendrils that kind of snake out like little skinny green fingers looking for just anything to latch onto, and then when they do, they wind around and around and around, and the vines pull themselves along. Well, that's what they're talking about, taking these little tendrils and cooking them to make probably like a little, a little salad or something to go along with your food, a little side dish. Now, we all have to know this stuff, just in case during Advent we are going to be called upon to sing the great hymn, Conditor Alme Siderum. Now, for the sake of being complete, I suppose we really should turn and look at that that other version, the Creator Alme Siderum, which was used in the Roman breviary for so many years, and still wrote, used now, of course, since Summorum Pontificum. Uh, clerics are able to fulfill their obligations also by using the Breviarium Romanum. They can do so at will. They don't have to stick to the to the Liturgy of the Hours. But, of course, it's always good to know what you're praying. I know that there are a lot of eager beavers out there who want to say the office, and they want to say it in Latin, but as they're saying it, they have absolutely no idea what it means. Well, in that case, perhaps it would be better to use it, the vernacular. You know, once upon a time, I remember hearing stories about how if clerics you know, didn't no Latin, they had to actually go and get a letter, they had to get permission to say it in the vernacular. You know, as I don't know how humiliating that must have been, but um, it must have been done. And there are old editions of the breviary that have uh, Latin side by side with the English. I'd love to have a, a set of those books, I've seen them. 
anyway, let's take a look uh, just for a moment at the Creator Almi Sidirum, as it is uh, in the older form of the office. And I'm reaching over here for my breviary. Uh, I'm sorry, not my breviary. I'm looking for my Liber Usualis. And I'll turn over here to Advent, and uh, we'll dig up that hymn. I'm turning around here to the to Sunday Vespers, and let's see, we're after Mass. Here's Vespers, and of course in those days the hymn was in a little different place. It was after all of the Psalms and their antiphons, and after the chapter. Uh, in these days, in the Liturgia Orarum, uh, the hymn is the thing you start out with. But let's just hear a little bit of this. We can uh, hear the Latin first. Creator alme siderum, eterna lux credentium, Jesu redemptor omnium, intende votis supplicum. And uh, why don't I just intersperse this with a, a translation from the 17th century. Bright builder of the heavenly poles, Eternal light of faithful souls, Jesus, Redeemer of mankind, our humble prayers vouchsafe to mind. Que demonis ne fraudibus periret orbis impetu, amoris actus languidi, mundi medela factus es. Who, lest the fraud of hell's black king should all men to destruction bring, didst by an act of generous love the fainting world's physician prove. Commune qui mundi defas, ud expiares ad crucem, e virgini sacrario, intacta prodis victima. Thou that thou mightst our ransom pay, and wash the stains of sin away, didst from a virgin's womb proceed, and on the cross a victim bleed. Cuius potestas gloriae, nomenque cum primum sonat, et celites et inferi tremente curvantur genu. Thy glorious power, thy saving name, no sooner any voice can frame, but heaven and earth and hell agree to honor them with trembling knee. Te deprecamur ultime, manium diei judicem, armis superne gratiae, defende nos ab hostibus. Thee, Christ, who at the latter day shall to be our judge, we humbly pray, such arms of heavenly grace to send, as may thy church from foes defend. Virtus honor laus gloria, Deo patricum filio. Sancto simul paraclito, in seculorum secula. Amen. Be glory given and honor done to God the Father and the Son, and to the Holy Ghost on high, from age to age, eternally.
Conditor almi siderum, creator almi siderum, changes in the melody, changes in the words, all these variations, you know, they they really mean something, don't they? And, you know, to my mind, as I, you know, compare and contrast them now, to my mind, that version of the hymn, that creator almi siderum, with that melody, that just comes out a little stilted, very awkward. Uh, I have to admit that the alterations, uh, the decision to go back to the more ancient form of the words, conditor almi siderum, go back to the old hymn, was the correct one for the Liturgy of the Hours. But, you know, it's it's important to know what these changes are. It's very important to drill into this, because this is our heritage, isn't it? As Catholics, all these things are ours. These hymns, they shaped generations and generations of Catholics, of religious all over the world. They formed their minds, they formed their faith for centuries. Now, without a knowledge of what they say and how they sound... We don't really know who we are as a praying, worshiping, singing church. We Latin Catholics, we belong to the Roman Church. Uh, we, For centuries, we've raised our hearts and minds to God during this time of Advent preparation with these melodies, with these words. And they change and they've shifted over the years, but effectively, this is how the praying church worships God at all hours of the day somewhere in the world someone was singing this that all of the aspirations of the entire church were being raised up to God in song and sometimes in you know difficult places of where we were oppressed sometimes in places where we were exalting and uh shall we say, dominating all the elements of society in good times and in bad times, in times of famine, in times of plenty, in times of war and in times of peace. This is how the church sang, sang to God. You know, I wonder sometimes if our young people out there, well, not even just young people, I mean, think about the generation that we've lost, basically lost since the council, completely lost. I wonder if people have the slightest clue what has been lost to us in the liturgy. Even for the importance of our, our study of literature or Western culture, can we really read the classics of Western literature without a working knowledge of the church's liturgical texts? I don't think so, because they're woven all through what we uh, what we read and what great authors and great poets you know, have done over the centuries. It's inseparable from Western civilization. You know, as I was digging around, I found a very interesting passage from Jean-Jacques Rousseau's Confessions. This is Book 3, which cover the years 1728 to 1731. You know, and aside from the point that Rousseau's ghastly book was surely one of the books that truly screwed up the world. Um, it's it, it's part of the warp and weft of who we are today. Uh, let's hear for just a moment what Rousseau had to say about the Conditor Alme Siderum. Mm-hmm. 
I have always preserved an affection for a certain air of the Conditor Almi Siderum, because one Sunday in Advent I heard that hymn sung on the steps of the cathedral, according to the custom of that place, as I lay in bed before daybreak. Mademoiselle Merceret, Madame de Warren's chambermaid, knew something of music. I shall never forget a little piece that Madame Le Maitre made me sing with her and which her mistress listened to with great satisfaction. In a word, every particular, even down to the servant Perrine, whom the boys of the choir took such delight in teasing, the remembrance of these times of happiness and innocence frequently returning to my mind, both ravish and affect me. That was Rousseau talking about the Conditor Almi Siderum uh, and his reflection on the beautiful melody which stuck in his mind. I wish some other things of the Conditor Almi Siderum had stuck in his mind because uh, this was a guy who truly helped to screw up the Western civilization in which we live. You know, there's a very interesting book called Ten Books That Screwed Up the World and Five Others That Didn't Help. I'd like to recommend this to all you listeners out there. It's written by a fellow named Benjamin Wicker. I think it's Wicker. It might be Wiker. But he identifies a whole bunch of books, and he, he shows how there are conceptual links, how one led to another, how led to another, led to another. Well, he has a chapter on the discourse on the origin and foundations of inequality among men, written by Rousseau in 1755. And he starts his chapter on Rousseau saying this. Jean-Jacques Rousseau has done so much damage in so many books that it is hard to single out one element, let alone one book, for censure. But for our purposes, we can in good conscience zero in on his discourse on the origin and foundations of inequality among men, a cornucopia of profound confusion, whose rotting fruit has seated several generations in subsequent errors. Wicker then goes on to talk about uh, Rousseau's life. It's always a good idea to look at the guy's biography to figure out where he's coming from. Then he goes on and shows how, you know, the, the connection between Rousseau with Hobbes and Locke and eventually how he uh, influences um, Karl Marx and Engels and uh, how some terrible, terrible things uh, lead out of Rousseau's thought. But anyway, we're getting a little far afield. It's certainly a ghastly book, but it's uh, I bring him up mainly to serve a purpose that if you were someone out there was reading Jean-Jacques Rousseau and had absolutely no idea 
of the history of the singing, praying church, which shaped Western civilization, uh, then they'd be, you know, pretty effectively clueless. Holy Church's prayer is interwoven and inseparable from who we are. Uh, whether you pray in the Roman way or not, if you don't know this stuff, then it's hard to say you really have a grip on the tools you need to understand who we are and where we come from. With that, I think we can wrap up this podcast. We've drilled thoroughly into the Conditor Almi Cedar of the Great Advent Hymn, going even a little farther afield than maybe uh, maybe than we should have. But uh, still, you know, one thing leads to another. It's all interwoven, isn't it? Uh, come and visit us at the blog, wdtprs.com, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra, Dot com. A little easier to remember is fatherzonline.com. And uh, you can always find us by Googling Father Z, too. Uh, come and participate in the, the discussions. Right now we have uh, some things going about the Advent orations. I'm posting every day about one of the prayers used during Mass, and we drill into that prayer just like I drilled into this hymn today. You can come and participate in the discussions. So God bless you. Say a prayer during this Advent for me, as I will for you. Sit